Good morning again. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm not a boxer. I'm a pastor and one of the elders here. I'm the, the senior pastor and one of the elders. My name is Alan Pittman. We are absolutely thrilled that you came uh, to worship with us today. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love that opportunity. Uh, whenever we dismiss, you can swing by out this direction and I'll say hello. And uh, also, if you don't mind, uh, fill out the connection card. And if you fill that out, then we'll reach out to you this week and give you some more information about the church and everything. Uh, don't forget, like I said, about the Jonah Secret Church. I looked at the calendar. That's ja uh, January. I don't know why I said January. That's April 29th. April 29th. Hopefully you can be a part of that. Um, I also want to let you know that we have a team that's going to Guatemala. We're going to be putting on a camp for missionary kids in Guatemala. And we need two more men. So if you've got a valid passport and you have a way to be able to break free from work for a week in, in June, it's the second week of June after VBS here, we could use you in Guatemala. So pray about that, men. If you have a passport and you have some flexibility, um, let me know ASAP uh, so that we can get you signed up uh, to go on that trip. And then one more thing, don't forget about the family celebration that's happening tonight at 5 o'clock. If this is your church home, if this is your church family, then come be a part of this gathering. It'll be about an hour and 15 minutes long or so. We'll be in this room looking at the things that God is doing in our midst. So that's tonight at 5 o'clock. When you came in, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. It looks like this. And on the back side of the worship guide is a place where you can take notes as we walk through the sermon together. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open your Bibles. We'll be in uh, Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible near you, underneath the seat uh, near you and th things like that. And if you don't own a Bible or need one at the house or know somebody who needs one, take that home with you. That'll be our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Today we're resuming our study of the book of Acts. And we're picking up where we left off. Before Easter, we spent about a month in the book of Matthew, and we kind of pressed pause in the book of Acts. And now we pick up the account where we were when we left it off. We are in Acts chapter 15 at the last of that chapter. If you're curious what we've studied so far in the book of Acts, we've been in it over the last year and a half or so, not every week, but we've been in it uh, consecutively or consistently. You can go to our website, you can look at our archived sermons, you can go back and watch any of those uh, to kind of see where we've been. But today we resume in Acts chapter 15, and I want to kind of recap briefly. Paul and Barnabas were two men, they were apostles, and they uh, had gone on a missionary journey together and God had done great things. And so uh, as we wrapped up our time in the book of Acts chapter 15, we had just seen them complete their first missionary journey. And then when they got back there, there was a discussion about how a person who was a Gentile, not a Jewish person, could come to faith in Jesus. Did they have to become a Jew first? And you can read about that in the beginning of Acts chapter 15. But what we see take place is they go to a council. It's called Jerusalem Council. And crisis was averted. Unity was established. And the church was thriving and growing and doing well. So now we pick up the account at the end of chapter 15, and we see that Paul decides that he thinks they should revisit the churches that they had helped start. So look with me at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We're going to read some more verses, but we're going to stop at verse 36 right now. It says, and after some days, in other words, a period of time, we don't know how long, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
What Paul is saying is we went on this missionary journey. We saw a lot of people come to faith in Jesus. We saw a lot of churches established and started. But now we're back in Antioch, and they are out there, and we need to go back and see them and see how they're doing. It's not like to say howdy and how's the weather and is your football team winning currently. It's to see how they are doing spiritually. What he's acknowledging is that people had come to faith in Jesus, they were new believers in Jesus Christ, and they needed to be discipled or growing in their faith, and Paul said, we have a responsibility to go and help them grow in their faith. It's not just about telling them about Jesus, it's not just about conversion or salvation, it's about a life of sanctification, of growing to be more and more like Jesus, and understanding who he is, and to be discipled along the way. Here at our church, we talk about being a disciple, making disciples, and what Paul is wanting to do is to make disciples and not just converts he also wants to see the church strengthened and so he wants to go back and visit every single city where they have been I want us to think for just a second one of my sons absolutely loves infants and babies like if there's a baby he's going to find them most of us probably enjoy babies too as long as we don't have to change their diapers or don't have to be awake at night when they're crying, right? But we love babies. Here's my question. If, if I took baby Ruth, which is actually one of, of his favorite babies, if I took baby Ruth, I'm not going to do this, Katie, so don't flip out, but if I were to take baby Ruth and I were to set her down, and now she's, she's crawling around, right? But let's presume she wasn't yet to that stage. And I just lay her on the stage right there. I just lay her there. And I go, Katie and Clark, we'll, we'll get her in about five or six hours. We're just going to leave her there. And we're going to dismiss. The lights will be off. We'll just leave baby Ruth. She's laying right here. on the. We're not going to do that. Who leaves an infant unattended? You don't do that. An infant needs care and concern, and, and they need to grow as their mom and dad and others take care of them. Why is it that we see people come to faith in Jesus and they're spiritual infants and we just set them aside and go, you're a Christian, you were baptized, now go do everything, but we don't teach them anything. Church, we must take seriously our role of discipling new believers. And I want us as a church family to do a better job of that. I, I'm not reprimanding us. I'm saying that all too often churches are like that. We don't take into account a person who's new to their faith in Jesus needs us to walk alongside and encourage them. So that doesn't go directly with the main theme of this message, but I didn't want us to overlook it. So here's Paul. He's saying, hey, Barnabas, let's go back to all those cities. Let's pick up the rest of the story in verses 38, 37 and 38. Now, Barnabas wanted to take them, with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, if you've not read the rest of Acts, if you weren't here when we studied Acts chapter 13, that may not make a whole lot of sense to you. So let's kind of talk about who this John Mark is and what they're referencing. The first thing I want us to see is this. When it comes to disagreements about, between Christians, the first observation we make is that disputes usually begin with the best intentions. What I want us to do as we look at this text this morning, I'm not going to give you three easy steps on how to deal with disagreements. 
Rather, we're just going to make some observations because when we go to God's Word, the way for us to understand, interpret, and apply it begins first and foremost with observations of the text. So we're going to observe some things between two men, Paul and Barnabas, who have a disagreement. They're both Christians. What happens in this story and how can we apply it to our lives? The first thing, as I said, is that disputes usually begin between Christians, at least, with the best intentions. And this dispute is over a guy by the name of John Mark. Who in the world is John Mark? John Mark actually ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. That's a story for another day, but he writes, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that we have in our Bibles called Mark. Some other things about John Mark, we first see him back in Acts chapter 13. We're not going to read the verse, but you may want to jot it down. Acts chapter 13, verse 6 we see that on the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, that John Mark is with them, and while they are still beginning on the infancy stages of that journey, we find out that John Mark leaves them in an area referred to as Pamphylia. We're not really clear why he left. We could speculate, we could guess, and maybe that's helpful, but probably not all that much. We just know from the context of what is said in Acts chapter 13, as well as hear from Paul, that apparently it was not a good thing whenever he left. So we know that, that he left early. And so because of that, whenever his name is brought up, we see there's a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. So we see in verse 37 that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. I want us to look at the word wanted. When I think of the word want, I sometimes use it like loosely, like I want a piece of pie. Like I'm not determined to make it happen, although I really like one. But in this sense, whenever it says wanted here, it's saying that Barnabas very much desires this. Like he more than wants it, he is going to try his very best, he's determined to make it happen. He has a determination that it will really happen. And then Paul, it says in verse 38, to quote the ESV, he thought best. Paul thought best. In other words, he insisted. In other words, he strongly disagreed. He thought it best that they not take John Mark with them. And what we have with Paul and Barnabas, their respective viewpoints on John Mark are both actually starting with good reasons. Paul says, no, we're not taking John Mark. Barnabas says, yes, we should, or yes, I will. Why are they disagreeing with each other? They both have the best intentions. Let me kind of describe what Paul's stance is. Paul is saying something along the lines of, hey, Barnabas, don't forget, we're going to help new Christians grow in their faith. We're going to help strengthen churches, and therefore we need a dependable helper to go with us. So let me use the Guatemala trip as an example. Let's suppose I said, let's take two more men, and one of you men said, I'm going to be that guy. We dismiss, you find me in the hallway, you go, Alan, i got my passport, I'm going to go on that trip, and here we go. And I'm like, all right, cool, we're going to use you here. And then, like, the day before the plane takes off, you're like, "Uh, you know what, Um, one of my friends is having brisket tomorrow, and I'm not going to be able to go to Guatemala because i got to stay in town and eat the brisket tomorrow. That's not a real dependable situation, right? Like, I need someone that's going to go. 
Paul says, I don't need to take somebody with me that's already been there, done that, didn't get the t-shirt because he left too early. This is too important of work. We can't be left high and dry. Uh, Look down in verse 38. I like what Paul says to bring clarity at the end of verse 38 when he describes when John Mark left him in Pamphylia. He says, "And, and when he left that John Mark had not gone with them to the work. He's like, he didn't even get there. Like, he was on the boat ride over to Cyprus, and then was going to head on up, and then he really didn't do anything. Like, he signed up for the trip and didn't even do any of the work. So Paul has a good reason behind not letting them go. Then we get to um, Paul's perspe- uh, Barnabas's perspective. Barnabas, do you remember what... Barnabas means and what he's referred to, what his nickname is. The word bar means son. He is the son of encouragement. Like if you've ever known somebody that encourages you every time you see them, that's Barnabas. In fact, the very first time we have Barnabas mentioned in the scripture is back in Acts chapter 4 verse 36. And he's referred to as the son of encouragement. And he lives it out over and over and over and over again. He is an encourager all of the time. Do you remember his first encounter with Paul? Paul had been on a rant as a Pharisee and was trying to imprison all of the Christians and kill them and drag them off to, to Jerusalem when he was headed to, um, to Damascus one day when he was radically saved. Well, every Christian in the area is like going, I don't trust that boy. What if this is a, a scam? He's going to try to arrest me. He's going to try to kill me. And they were scared of him, understandably so. So when Paul goes to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, the apostles don't really want to talk to him because they think he's up to no good. What happens with Barnabas? Barnabas comes alongside, he vouches for Paul, and he says, no, for real, this guy is good. So think for just a minute. John Mark had simply left them early on a missionary journey. Paul, on the other hand, had killed Christians. So John Mark's going, "Uh, Paul, don't you remember? Like, I kind of stood up for you. Like, I don't really think this is a big deal. Let's let John Mark go. Now, I know I'm adding some creative licensing to the conversation, but it's that kind of thing. Barnabas is a son of encouragement, and his desire is to encourage John Mark, and he stands up for John Mark. If you want to kind of know where uh, Barnabas stood up for Paul, you can jot that down. That's Acts chapter 9, verse 27. Another interesting thing about John Mark is that John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. They, they were cousins. In fact, you can write down Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, and you can look that up, and you'll see that they're cousins. I don't know. I'm speculating here. But perhaps because John Mark and Barnabas were cousins, maybe Barnabas and John Mark were at the family reunion, and while they were there, he realized that John Mark had actually improved and matured a good, good bit, and, and he had insider information. He's like, Paul, for real, he's a good guy. I don't know. All I know is they both started with great reasons. The truth of the matter is that both Paul and Barnabas were focused on the gospel, which caused them both to land in different places because they were looking at it from different angles. The angle that Paul was looking at it was, the mission is vital, so no, John Mark can't go with us. Whereas Barnabas said, the people are important John Mark deserves another shot. Both of these men, 
Paul and Barnabas were godly men. Both of these men were apostles. Both of these men had best intentions, and yet an argument developed. So I want you to think about your own life. As you think about your life with your your coworkers, your boss, your church family, people in your hope group, people you go to school with, people you're on on, on a sport team with, whatever it may be, your, your husband, your wife, your kids, how do you handle disagreements? How do you handle disputes? How do you approach them? I want to encourage you because whenever we're around people, there will be friction, there will be disputes. I want to encourage you to start with the best intentions. And part of the best intentions is to believe the best about the other person. I don't know for sure, I don't know what Paul was thinking, I don't know what Barnabas was thinking, but I don't think that either one of them thought that they were, the other one was a despicable person. They just landed differently. So the reality is we should think the best of others, we should have the best intentions, and therefore that empowers us, enables us to fight fair, to fight well. But even when you do those things, even when you have the best intentions, even when you think the best of the other person, even when you're both godly people, even when you're both focused on the gospel, at times dis, uh, disputes begin to escalate. So the next thing on your, on your sermon note says this, at times there will be intense differences of opinion. Look at verse 39. After Paul and Barnabas each make their statement of what they'd like to see happen, look at the beginning of verse 39. It says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement is a very intense difference of opinion. The Greek word for sharp disagreement carries with it the context of red-faced, tempers flaring, high blood pressure, high emotions. It means to provoke, to stir to anger, to incite. It's that kind of disagreement. Maybe you can relate to this. Have you ever been in a room where you're not in a dispute or an argument with someone else, but there are two people in the room and they are arguing or disputing with one another. Have you ever wanted to crawl under the table because it became so uncomfortable when these two people are arguing? It's that kind of situation. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think Paul and Barnabas were hurling curse words at each other, but it was that high intensity of disagreement that takes place in this conversation. Have you ever been there when... Perhaps your boss is correcting a coworker, and that coworker just begins to argue back. Have you ever walked into the room when a husband and wife are having a heated discussion? Have you ever seen these kinds of things? Have you ever been a part of one of those conversations? It is a high-intensity kind of moment. As I say that, you might go, wait a minute, Alan. Paul and Barnabas had great stature in the church. They were huge leaders. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, in the city where they are, Antioch, they had taught these people for a year, year and a half, and they had spent time together really discipling these people. And now the people that they were, the church was looking up to are having this intense difference of opinion. How are we going to handle that? My question is this. In those moments where we vehemently disagree with a brother in Christ, how do we handle it? Paul and Barnabas vehemently disagreed with each other. 
and how they reacted to each other was going to make all the difference in the world. When you disagree with a brother in Christ, is that difference because you're focused on the gospel or is that difference because you're focused on your preference? I've told this story, I think, in every time I've had a new member class, and I'll tell it very briefly. Ashley and I, right after we got married, moved to southern Illinois, and we went to a church where I was a youth pastor there. And back in the day, all the Southern Baptist churches in the world, I think, had monthly business meetings, and they were typically on Wednesday nights and sometimes Sunday nights. And we walked in week one at this new church, and it was business meeting night. Lovely. We get in there, and the church at that time, this is 20-plus years ago, had $300,000 in the bank, and we owned the building, and we needed a $300 ice maker for uh, a monthly, I mean, weekly meal that we had in our church uh, every Wednesday night. And people had sharp disagreements over that ice maker, not because of the gospel, but because we needed to save that $300 for that rainy day. And they argued and bickered and fought and called names, and it was disgusting. And it was my first week here, and we said, welcome to the job. We walked out into the parking lot, and the business meeting was over, but it wasn't over. You see, on a tailgate at this end of the parking lot, these people were saying, can you believe they're wasting $300? We've only got $300,000 in the bank. That's a waste of money. And then you got, I like to think this group maybe is not saying as much bad stuff, because I kind of was on this side. And they're going, can you believe those idiots? They won't let us buy an ice maker. My question is, are you likely to disagree vehemently with a brother or sister in Christ over gospel issues that really matter or over preferences of color of carpet? So if you find yourself intensely disagreeing with someone, check your motives. We know, though, that at times, with good intentions, with the right motives, focused on the gospel, it can lead to sharp disagreement. Whenever you disagree with a brother in Christ, and I say brother, it could be a sister too. Whenever you disagree with someone that's a part of the family of God and you disagree sharply or intensely with them, how do you maintain godliness? So let's look at the third point. At times, because of sharp disagreements of opinion, this may lead to an impasse. Look at the end of verse 39 through the end of the chapter. After the sharp disagreement arose, it says, So they, meaning Paul and Barnabas, separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul and Barnabas disagreed so strongly that they had a change of plans. See, they had hit an impasse. There was no way forward. Both men had dug their heels in. Paul said, he ain't going with us. Barnabas says, by golly, he is going with us. And they had dug in their heels so far. This is an impasse. There's no way forward. And so instead of going together, we see that they separated from each other. That word separated means exactly what it says. They split up. They parted company. They went separate ways. Guys, I think that this day in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas went separate ways was one of the saddest days there must have been. And what I mean by that is this dynamic duo had been together for about 15 years. They had known each other for 15 years from the beginning of Paul's salvation to how they were training people in Antioch to the, the, the missionary journey they had gone on. The last four to five years they had been together in tandem, hand in hand, doing ministry all along. 
And they realized as important as this dynamic duo is, more important is the gospel. And I land here because I think this is the right step. I land here because I think it's the right step. We both love Jesus. We both love each other. We both love the church. We both love the gospel. And for the sake of the gospel, we must part ways because they felt like if they stayed together, the gospel and their focus on the gospel would, would be compromised. And so for God's work to continue, they made the step, the decision, to separate and part ways. Now, this is not some kind of message that says half the church needs to part with the rest because we're in a good place as a church family. I don't see disagreement and, and, and angry at, at each other. And Our church is not the perfect church, but I believe that in the five years I've been here, I think personally we're in the healthiest spot that we've been since we, since in, over the last five years. Not ever necessarily, but over the last five years. We're in a good spot. But the reality is that sometimes in the scenario we see here in the book of Acts, that, that for the sake of the gospel, separation is okay because they're able to continue the work that they've been called to. Barnabas, it says, took John Mark. Where does it say that Barnabas went? It says there in verse 39, they sailed away to Cyprus, an island out in the Mediterranean Sea. Cyprus was Barnabas's native territory. He was from there. That was his homeland. They went there the first time on the missionary journey, and so he goes that way. Then it says in verse 40 that Paul chose Silas, and they left. And they went through Syria on their way to Cilicia. The news is this, Paul is from Cilicia, he's from Tarsus, which is in the area known as Cilicia. So both of these men took their respective missionary journeys to different places that they had been on that first journey, and both actually landed temporarily for a moment in their home territories. Now this Silas guy, who is this Silas guy that Paul takes with him? Jot down Acts chapter 15, verse 22. We see that Silas is a leader in Jerusalem. If you remember, there was a letter that was written from the church of Jerusalem that described to the Christians that were Gentiles how they were to live their lives in a way that would reflect God's uh, love for all people and how they could become followers of Jesus without first becoming Jews. And Silas was the, to deliver that letter. And that letter, if you look at Acts chapter 15, 23, or sorry, um, yeah, 23, they were to go and deliver this letter through Syria and Cilicia. I want us to look real quickly at the map. I've got two maps I want us to see. The first one's going to be a large layout. Well, actually, uh, yeah, that is, yeah, that's the large layout. So you'll see on the right-hand side where that red arrow starts at the, uh, on the right-hand side in Antioch, that's where they are. And then you see the rest of uh, Greece and Italy and all of that. And so that's kind of where we are. You see Cyprus there. You see Jerusalem down south on the right-hand side. Now let's zoom in a little bit closer. And uh, I don't have a, uh, an arrow drawn here, but they left Antioch, Barnabas did, and went down to Cyprus. They, they floated over there to Cyprus. And then, and then uh, Paul and um, Silas went where that red line is. And that's kind of the area. Syria is right there where Antioch is. Cilicia begins right there uh, around Derby, And so they're headed that direction. This is the part of the world where they're going. And so what we have here is instead of one missionary journey, we have two missionary journeys. But the truth of the matter is it didn't come about because they were doing strategic planning. It didn't come about because they were at a prayer gathering and felt led to do so. It didn't come about because the Holy Spirit specifically gave them word and prompted them. The sad thing is it came about because of a sharp disagreement. All too often, churches experience splits. 
All too often denominations divide and do different things. All too often uh, two pastors on the same church staff can disagree and one goes, I'm taking my marbles and going home. I mean, all too often things like that can happen. But guys, what I want us to see is that God is bigger than any kind of disagreement. That at times, for the sake of the gospel, division happens. And at times, people divide for reasons that are not because of the gospel. And yet, that doesn't thwart the work of God. His work continues, which takes us to the last point that I want us to see. And that is that yet, in God's sovereignty, the gospel will still advance. Look at verse 40. It says that Paul and Barnabas separated, and then it says at the end of verse 40 that as Paul left, they were commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. What it's saying is the church gave them over to the Lord and said, God, by your grace, would you send them, would you use them? And the reality is this, that if we trust our lives with God, seeking his grace, then in his sovereignty, he still will use us to spread the gospel even when division happens. And then we see in verse 41 that the result of their trip is still uh, handled. They, they wanted to go strengthen the church. They wanted to go preach the gospel, and that still happened. It just looked a little different than how they had originally planned it. So why does Luke, who wrote the, uh, the book of Acts down, why does Luke include this? Why is this argument listed? Why didn't Luke just say, Hey, um, so Paul and Barnabas, they kind of decided to go different ways. So Barnabas went this way, Paul went that way. Why the list of an argument? I think because God wants us to see that none of us are perfect. God wants us to see the reality that life can be tough when dealing with other Christians too. And that even in our imperfection and our sinfulness, that God's glory still advances it's not about Paul, it's not about Barnabas, it's not about Alan, it's not about Howard, it's not about living hope, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And what Luke and God, the Holy Spirit, wants us to see is that in the midst of all of that, that the gospel still advanced regardless of the sin and imperfection in these two men. At times we get in God's way, but he is still sovereign and his gospel advances. And we don't see it in this story, but here's the beautiful news. This whole scenario of the sharp disagreement is restored and redeemed by the end of all three of these men's lives. Jot down these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians after they parted ways. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, we see that Paul sees Barnabas as a value, valuable fellow minister. And then at the end of his life, when Paul is waiting to, not waiting to die, but anticipating his death, he writes a letter to Timothy. And you want to jot this down, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And he tells Timothy, grab John Mark and bring him to me, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So we see the redemption takes place. So while Paul and Barnabas parted ways, they didn't harden their hearts towards each other. You know what Paul and Barnabas didn't do when they had the disagreement? They didn't get on Twitter and start tweeting, don't go to that church because that person's, you know. The reality is all too often we air dirty laundry and we don't have a reason to do so. 
You're like, they didn't have Twitter back then. True. Paul didn't write a letter to the church in Ephesus and say, steer clear of that jerk face, Barnabas. When we have disagreements with other brothers and sisters in Christ, may we not be guilty of what the culture does, and that is smear the other person's name. How dare we? How dare we act ungodly in our disagreements and disputes with people? Stop taking your cue from culture. Stop taking your cue that way. This is the last time that Barnabas is mentioned in the book of Acts. But Paul is all throughout it. So that is clear that Paul is right and he's the winner, right? No. You're like, well, why does Barnabas not get mentioned later? And why does Paul? This story is not about personalities. This story is not about people. This story is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in and through imperfect people as the gospel is advanced throughout the entire world. Nothing stops God's plans, even Christians mad enough to part ways. Consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, as I say all of this, I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior. There's plenty of church splits and arguments and disagreements and hateful things that are spewed different ways. But what we see with Paul and Barnabas is that none of that took place. They disagreed for gospel reasons, and they didn't hate on one another. They respectfully disagreed, parted ways, did gospel separately yet together for the sake of Jesus Christ. What do you do when you find yourself disagreeing with other people? What we see in this is that God is victorious always because he is sovereign. The reality is this, that God gave us a task and that is to preach the gospel. Don't let anything stop you from doing so. This disagreement between Paul and Barnabas could have stopped both of them from preaching the gospel, and yet they didn't allow it to do so. They continued to trust God's sovereignty and not their efforts and to preach the gospel. So I've said a lot about the gospel. I, I, I don't want to leave this place without sharing the gospel with you. And here's the, the basic understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ says this. That because of our sin, we are eternally forever separated from a holy, perfect God. And our sharp disagreement with God over how we run our lives is not holy or godly. It's all selfish and what we want. God, I don't have to listen to you. You can't tell me what to do. And we live a life of rebellion, open rebellion against a holy, perfect God. And because of our sin, we are eternally forever separated from God there's no way to be in right standing with God because of our sin we can do nothing in our own strength to be made right with God there's only one solution and his name is Jesus Christ and the solution of Jesus Christ is not universally applied it's only applied whenever we see and acknowledge that we are sinners repent of our sins trust in Jesus that he died for us he was killed on a cross. He was raised three days later paying the price for our sin that our sins might be forgiven if we come to him in faith and repentance. So my question to you is this. 
Have you trusted in the gospel? Have you said yes to Jesus and his work on your behalf? Today can be the day of salvation. You can grab one of your connection cards that's there in front of you and you can jot down any spiritual decision you're making today and drop that in the offering plate when it's passed a little bit later. You can come and visit with me in just a moment when we have a chance to respond and and I can talk with you about what salvation is all about. But today is the day of salvation. There's others of us in this room that we're dealing with disagreements. Maybe we're having arguments with people in this room, in our church family. Maybe there's been a dispute Maybe there's something you disagree about. Maybe there's some bad blood between you and someone else. Would you respond today and allow God to do his redemptive, restorative work in your life between you and that individual? And would you trust him to guide you along that way? Whenever we face stretched relationships, we should think the best of the other person instead of the worst. We should fight fair. We should do our best to see the Holy Spirit restore that relationship and that we should trust God with the outcome. As I said a moment ago, we live in a divisive time. And unfortunately, that divisiveness has spilled over into the church. I'm not talking about living hope per se. I'm talking about all churches. All too often we're elevating to the gospel level things that really aren't and we divide over things we shouldn't divide over. All too often we're acting like we're the only ones who have it right and everybody else is an idiot. While Paul and Barnabas end up parting ways, thankfully they weren't guilty of those things. At the end of the day we see that God's work continued and my question is can the same be said of you and how you handle your relationships? just a moment we're going to stand and sing we're going to sing a couple of songs and during the second song an offering plate will pass in front of you you can drop offering in there you can put your connection card those kinds of things but during the next couple of songs we're going to sing and if you need to respond by coming and praying right here at this altar coming and praying with me finding someone in the church body and apologize and seek to make things right let us do what the lord is leading us to do as we say yes to him for salvation and as we say yes to him in our relationships with other people and as we seek to proclaim the gospel and make it the primary focus in all things let me pray for us